Welcome to Beacon Baptist Church of Lexington, South Carolina. We trust today's podcast will be a blessing to you. Amen. Uh, when we come to this passage here in uh, Acts chapter number 7, uh, in verse number 54 through 60, uh, as I mentioned earlier, we come to uh, the accounts of the life of Stephen. And Stephen here is, uh, is at the end of his life. He is uh, preaching a sermon. Chapter number 7, uh, verse number 1 through verse number 53, uh, records 53 verses of a recorded sermon that Stephen preached. Of course, if you know anything about your Bible and who Stephen is. Stephen was one of the first men out of seven in Acts chapter number six that were called uh, by God and was appointed and ordained by the apostles of the Lord Jesus Christ to be uh, the first deacons of the local New Testament church uh, to serve in that role, uh, to be servants of the people of God uh, so that the apostles could give themselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word uh, that the Bible says uses those terminologies there that they might give themselves, Acts 6-4, uh, uh, continually to prayer and uh, to the ministry of the Word. Without the service of Stephen, uh, we probably wouldn't have had, and these other deacons, we probably wouldn't have had the great ministries uh, that we find the Bible records of these apostles because they would have spent their entire days, their entire weeks, meeting needs of people in the body of Christ instead of getting with God and receiving revelation from the Lord and uh, being used of God to evangelize the known world at the time. And so I'm thankful for Stephen's ministry uh, as he was a servant of the church, but I'm thankful for Stephen's uh, martyrdom as the first martyr of the church. He gave his life for the cause of Christ, and we thank God for uh, the, the martyrs that have died and sealed their faith in blood that the faith of the Lord Jesus Christ could be passed down to us. So Stephen here uh, has uh, declared the truth in an act of evangelism to the nation of Israel. Uh, he has tried to give them the gospel and in giving them the gospel they, re they rebelled from what he preached and they killed him according to the verses that we read. And uh, we, we began by in the series uh, particularly highlighting verse number 60. Uh, we've preached these other verses but our main thought comes out of verse number 60 where the Bible says, and he, speaking of Stephen, kneeled down and cried with a loud voice, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. We've been talking about that phrase, and he kneeled down. Uh, what an interesting phrase that it is when we consider that even though they stoned him, even though they were hurling stones at him for the purpose of killing him, uh, those stones did not knock him down, but the Bible says that he kneeled down while they were stoning him, obviously indicating his intention with this, uh, his will being exercised in kneeling down in the presence of his tormentors. And we began a couple of weeks ago to begin to look at the subject, a series of messages on the subject, when life brings you to your knees. Because we already said 
that it wasn't the stones that brought Stephen to his knees, but it was the events of his life that caused him to be kneeled down upon his knees in this moment. And we've been talking about when life brings you to your knees because Stephen's life did just that to him. And so we've been talking the last several weeks about uh, the, how the path of Stephen's life brought him to his knees. Just the regular, ordinary, ordinary path of his life. Uh, he lived his life. He got saved by the grace of God. And he, as any Christian should, began to serve the Lord using their spiritual gifts in the service of the Lord. The path of his life, being a member of the, of the newly formed uh, church in Jerusalem, amen, uh, was, uh, was exercising his gift. The leaders of the church came to him, said, I want you to serve as a deacon. He was a man full of faith and full of the Holy Ghost. He had the requirements to, uh, to hold that role, and he did. And he preached, and he shared uh, the truth of God, and he told people how to be saved, and he told them that there was a, a God that loved them so much that he gave uh, his life for them. The gospel message is all throughout these 53 verses of chapter number 7 that we have, uh, that we have uh, given introduction to already. But when we come to verse number 60, we find him on his knees just because of what life brought. There's people in here, you've been saved, you've, uh, you've joined the church, you are a part of this church in some way, shape, or fashion. You have, uh, and many of you have exercised your gifts, but we don't see anybody being stoned this morning for it. So life can, and by the way, even though you are serving the Lord, we saw that in Stephen's preaching in verse 54. The Bible said when they heard these things, they were cut to the heart and they gnashed on him with their teeth. His preaching, his declaration of the truth brought him to his knees, just, just serving the Lord did. We talked about his purity, verse 55, he being full of the Holy Ghost, meaning that he was, he was full of the Holy Ghost, means he was empty of sin. Uh, or, or of impurity and living for the world. And, and his, his one desire was to serve the Lord and to give himself for the Lord. So despite his service for the Lord, represented by his preaching, despite his purity, living clean and holy in his service for the Lord. And then uh, last week we saw that not only did pre preaching and purity bring him to his knees, but also people brought him to his knees. In this passage, we see all he's doing is exercising his spiritual gift. All he's doing is serving the Lord with a clean life and a clean heart, doing the best that he can to be the most that he can for God. And people, when he was doing his best to reach them with the truth, love them enough to give them the truth, and literally lay it all out on the line so that they wouldn't have to go to hell, they rebelled against it and killed the preacher killed that deacon killed brother Stephen and so and by the way that's the way it is in our life the path of life you can be serving God you can be living clean and holy not have a bunch of sin in your life and living as wicked as a devil you don't have to live wicked as a devil for your life to bring you to your knees I think we'll learn in life 
the longer we go, that the more you do live for God, the more you will see life bring you to your knees. Because from the moment you get saved and the moment you sell out to God and begin to serve Him and begin to live as light in this dark world, you, I believe the devil have a target upon your back and he will make sure that that, that little G-O-D God of this world, the prince of the power of the air, will make sure that you will encounter things in life. And I believe that he will use people probably more than anything else to try to deter you and get you off course from what the Lord would have for you to do. Amen. Right. Despite preaching to them, despite his purity in his life, despite uh, the, his service uh, pouring out of himself into people, life still brought him to his knees. So as we continue to talk about the path of life, I want to give you one last thought on this subject, and that is not only did preaching bring him to his knees, and purity bring him to his knees, and people bring him to his knees, but let me give you this fourth one. I believe that Paul brought Stephen to his knees. I believe Paul brought Stephen to his knees. You say, preacher, what are you talking about uh, with that? Look with me at chapter number 7 and verse number 58. Uh, so, so we see ourselves here in the life of Stephen. We saw it in his service. We saw it in his clean living. We see it in uh, the influence of people and how, uh, how people come and people rebel and people cause problems and contention that we've got to learn to live for God. We've got to learn to not let them stop us. But notice this. <clears throat> notice what the Bible says in chapter 7 and verse 58 about, uh, about the Apostle Paul. Look at verse 58. <clears throat> and it says, and they, it says, and cast him out of the city, this mob, if you will, of Jewish people that is rebelling against the truth of God. They cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at a young man's feet whose name was Saul. This Saul here is Saul of Tarsus. This Saul here is the man that in your Bible, in just a couple of chapters, will have his name changed by the Spirit of God, and he will, from being the wicked man that he is here in this text, as an unsaved unbeliever, in just a few chapters, he'll have a run-in with the Holy Ghost of God, and God will save him on the road to Damascus, and God will save him so good that he gets a new name, and he gets a new desire, and he gets a new attitude and he gets a new path for life and he becomes known as the Apostle Paul. By the way, it is this man that we find that Stephen is, in, is there in the moment of Stephen's stoning that wrote over half of our New Testament. You beginning with, beginning with the book of Romans all the way to the book of Philemon or Hebrews, depending on how you believe about the authorship of Hebrews, the Apostle Paul wrote all of those books. Here we see him as an unsaved man, and we find him there in the moment that Stephen was stoned. Notice what the Bible says again, verse 58. It says that they cast Stephen out of the city, and they stoned him. <coughs> and the witnesses, those that witnessed this stoning, lay down their clothes, literally their cloaks, their outer garments, at a young man's feet, 
whose name was Saul. Here's what they did. You must say, well, what's the point of these uh, clothes being, uh, you know, we, we, they're not taking off their clothes and they're taking off an outer garment. Here's what they're trying to do. Uh, they're not, uh, they're not, they're not uh, becoming uh, exposed by doing this. What they're doing is they're freeing up their arms. What they're doing is, is they're, those, those, those cloaks that they would wear, it didn't give them a good throwing position to stone Stephen with. They're taking these off. They take off their cloaks. They lay them at Saul's feet, no doubt for, for protection and no doubt to, uh, to keep track as to who's who's. And so because they're going to go back and get those cloaks eventually. This leads me to believe that he was trusted by them. It leads me to believe that they are putting part of their possessions in his hands because they can trust him with that. I don't know about you, but uh, that, that tells me something about what's in his heart if he's trusted by people who are actively engaged in killing a man for telling them the truth. It tell you, uh, by the way, your associations say a lot about you. Yes, Amen. You show me a man's friends, and I can tell you a lot about that person. You show me who you hang around and you spend your time with, and I'll know even if you don't want me to know about what's truly in your heart. What you care about, what you don't care about. Here, Saul's associations tell us a little bit about his spiritual condition. Paul, uh, Saul did not pick up a stone that the Scripture reveals. Uh, it doesn't tell us that he picked up a stone, Brother William, but he was complicit in the stoning because he allowed those that were doing the stoning to have a little bit of ease in doing it. Oh, y'all are going to stone the, the man of God? Here, let me hold your coats for you so you can do it with ease. If I have enough premeditation in mind to take off my cloak for this, this does not mean that this was something that was simply done out of, out of an emotional response of rage. This was something that was done with full volition of the will. They knew what they were doing. This was not a, a, this was not a knee-jerk reaction uh, to being mad at something that was said. I, I've seen a lot of knee-jerk reactions in churches. I've preached things and seen people fly off the handles and walk out the door, but they come back and they get it right. Because, because they, they responded wrong, and just in the heat of the moment, in the emotion of the moment, they got mad, and they stormed out. By the way, before, the, before we came here, there was a, there was a, a time that that happened. And uh, we, I had somebody get mad at something I did in the service. Uh, I, well, I, I'll say this. I heard about it, <clears throat> something happening on Sunday morning. Somebody getting mad about something that was, I wasn't there. I was preaching in another state. <clears throat> I was preaching in this state and pastoring in another state. And I heard about it. And just so I could watch the reaction to see if, what, this is supposed to be good church members now. I heard through one of our young preachers that this, this song was sung or whatever. And this thing was done. And it made them mad. And they got up and made a big stink. And so you know what I did? The same group that sang Sunday morning, I had them sing Sunday night so I could watch to see how they behaved. Brother Jeremy, they did exactly the same thing. I had our song leader lead singing, and I followed them out the door. I had a conversation with them about what was going on. That's not, by the way, that's not the way Christians are supposed to respond to stuff. 
Amen. We ought to have more grace than that. Amen. If you've got a problem with something that goes on in the church, see me after church. Don't storm out. Amen. We'll talk about it. I will talk, we'll go to my office. We'll talk about it. We'll have, a, we'll have a kind conversation about it. As long as you'll keep it kind, I'll keep it kind. Even if you don't keep it kind, I'll still keep it kind. Amen. Amen. But, but, but here's, here's the thing. I've seen those knee-jerk reactions it, it fueled with emotion in church before. It's not necessarily the way a Christian ought to act, but we've seen it. And, and we're all prone to it. It may not be something in church that will get your goose and cook your goose, but it may be something else, and that is just as prone for you to do as it is anybody else. By the way, those things are still prone to the preacher, too. Amen. I may, I, may be God, I may be God's man. I may be the pastor of this church, but I'm still just as much flesh as you are, and I have enough just like you can have enough. Now, my enough may be a lot more than your enough, but when I get there, it's there. We're all susceptible to that. But here's the thing, though. That's not what we're reading in this text. This is premeditated. This is that whereas they may not have went to that place to say that we're stoning him. When they got the opportunity, they did it, and they did it fully aware of what they were planning on doing. They picked up stones with the intent of killing this man. And we've already talked about the precision that they would have done it with because they were trained as the Jewish people for hundreds of years how to stone people. It was how they, it is how they, uh, it's how they uh, killed those that was uh, going against the law of God. They would stone those. But here we find Paul involved at this, at this stoning, and he was there as a witness to, uh, he was there as a witness to the events that took place on this day. As we looked at the previous three thoughts that we've talked about in days gone by, about how the path of Stephen's life in his preaching brought him to his knees, in his purity brought him to his knees, and then the people that came along in the path of his life brought him to his knees. As we think of those three things, we can be tempted to wonder why would God let something like this happen to someone that is serving him in the way that Stephen's serving him. And by the way, you may have asked that question of something in your life. Why would God let this happen to me when I'm serving him and I don't have, I don't have sin in my life? I'm, I, I'm a sinner, but I'm trying to live clean and live holy. And when I commit a sin, I ask God to forgive me and I ask God to forgive me right early and I get it under the blood. I try not to hold on to it and separate my fellowship with the Lord. I'm living for God. I'm serving Him. I'm trying to live a clean life. I'm doing all that I can. I'm trying to do good in my relationships with people and let them see Christ in me. But yet my life is still at a place where I feel like it brings me to my knees. Why would God let this happen to me? Why would God let this circumstance come into my life? I believe as we look at <clears throat> this verse this morning, we see the answer to the question of why God allowed Stephen to go through what Stephen was going through. Why would God let one of the best servants he has be stoned? I believe it's because God knew that not very far off in the distance, close enough where the ones that were stoning Stephen would be able to pass their coats off to a young man whose name was Saul, Saul of Tarsus. I believe that it was that young man that was the reason why God allowed Stephen to be stoned that day. By the way, 
Stephen was stoned and God brought his life to literally to his knees because of Paul. I would submit to your heart today that it may not be that God has a problem with your service to why your life is where it is right now. It may not be that God sees a whole lot of immorality in your life as to where, uh, why your life is where it is right now. It may not be your, even your external relationships with people uh, being wrong is the reason why God uh, lets your life be as it is right now for many of you. But I'll say this this morning, it very well could be that in your life God wants to use you like he used Stephen to reach a Paul. That's nearby. You know, if there, I believe that there's a lot of people that probably have gotten saved because God has used an individual to be a Stephen in their life. Here's what we find with Stephen. We find Stephen being a man that did not stop being a Christian when the very worst of circumstances entered into his life. When Stephen's at his worst day, we find, you read that passage and try to tell me if I'm wrong, we find Stephen being his best. On his worst day, God, even though it takes his life, lets it be his best day. When was the last time you saw God open up the heavens and let you see Jesus? God can take your worst day and he can make it your best day. But it doesn't mean that the trouble's not going to come. It doesn't mean that the end result's not going to be bad. You don't get any worse physically in life than having your life taken from you by vile, wretched hands. And Stephen had that happen in his life, but God saw it and God planned it and God used it to reach a Paul. You say, preacher... How do you know that God is using this in Stephen's life? I, let, me, let me say this real quickly. I believe that God let Stephen be martyred on this day for that, for that reason that I just mentioned. Out of all of the aspects of uh, the path of Stephen's life that brought him to his knees, this truly, if you think about it, it's the only one that makes sense. The, the, him being brought to his knees because of his preaching, that didn't make sense. Because of his purity, that didn't make sense why that would happen. It doesn't make sense that, that the people that he's serving and get pouring into would end his life. That doesn't make sense. But this idea that God can use your suffering and your, uh, and your turmoil and your life being brought to its knees uh, until you reach somebody else, if you look at this through spiritual eyes, that does make sense. It's the only thing I've preached to you thus far that does make sense. Acts 7, 58 through 60 tells us that Paul was there to witness to the death of Stephen. And Acts chapter 8, verse 1 says that he was there and he was consenting to it. Although Saul of Tarsus did not throw any of the stones that day, he did bring Stephen to his knees. God wanted Stephen to be brought to this, his knees so Saul could see and observe what God was doing. Saul watched as an innocent man laid down his life in order to give them the message that they needed 
separated from God and called out as he called out to the God that he loved so much and that he served wholeheartedly and without hesitation. Saul watched as God's man held no grudge or ill will toward those that were taking his life. Saul watched as he says Stephen became a mirror, physically a mirror of the cross, of the events of the cross of Christ as they took his life when he prayed for his tormentor's pardon as Christ did upon Calvary. Stephen said, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. Jesus said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Stephen, uh, Stephen was uh, there as, and Saul watched as God's man, Stephen, took his eyes off of the affairs of this life and of this world and stared steadfastly into the eyes of the darling son of God and he watched as Stephen by way of the sleep of death stepped over into the heaven that he was looking at. That's what God allowed Saul to see in the life and even in the death of Stephen. I believe that God allowed Stephen to be brought to his knees for the chief of sinners. Paul said in 1 Timothy chapter number 1 and verse number 15 he said that he was the chief. He was the pinnacle. He was the top sinner in the world. God went to drastic measures to allow a good man, a godly man, lay down his life for the cause of Christ so that the worst sinner that ever lived could be saved by the grace of God. And by the way, I believe this is what it would have taken and what it did take to turn uh, the, begin the process <coughs> of turning the stone-cold heart of Saul of Tarsus that would later be softened and would receive the gospel and see a life-changing uh, take place as he would become the Apostle Paul. I believe that Paul saw this image of Stephen being stoned and him there consenting to it. I believe that as Paul preached the, <laughs> the Word of God after his salvation, I believe that, so that's, that's, uh, uh, that Saul... As he stood there and preached, probably uh, could have, uh, probably could have felt uh, the, uh, uh, the the weight of the clothes that were upon him, the, that were on his uh, at his feet. I believe everywhere he stood, he was reminded of this event. I believe every time he preached, he saw in the back of his mind the face of Stephen. I believe every time he closed his eyes, any time he was there in the quietness of the day, I believe he heard the voice of this preacher preaching those 53 verses of a scriptural message. I believe every time he closed his eyes at nine, he saw the stones hitting his body as Stephen sat there and he kneeled before them, not looking at them, but looking at God, not talking to them, but talking to God, praying to him, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. Stephen was, excuse me, Saul was complicit in the sin. I believe everywhere he went, every time he preached on the forgiveness of God, I believe that he was reminded of the forgiveness of God that was working through God's servant, that Holy Ghost filled deacon Stephen. And as he preached on forgiveness, he reminded of how he was reminded of how much the one that gave him the gospel begged God to save him. And thank God, God did save him and forgive him of his sin. I believe he was reminded of this. I believe it was this image that motivated Paul to be a Christian 
like no other Christian that had ever lived before him and perhaps has ever lived since. I believe that in his efforts to be a Christian like none other, he was reminded that there were those that had paid a price for him to be saved that was unlike any other. Amen. I believe he was reminded of the servant of God. I believe that he was reminded of the Savior that laid down his life that he might be saved. It, there was a price that was paid to witness to him. There was a price that was paid. A man sealed his faith in his blood and laid down his life as a picture of what Jesus did for all of humanity to give the gospel one more time to the nation of Israel. I believe, as our modern terminology goes, that Stephen became a hero in Paul's ministry. I believe with every success that Paul had, I think, I, I believe with all of my heart that he was being pressed forward by, by the witness and by, by the memory of the man of God that had brought the gospel to him. And I believe that Paul not only sought to be a man of God like Stephen, but I believe that he wanted to be a man of God like the God of Stephen because as he looked at Stephen, he couldn't help but see Jesus. Let me ask you real quickly before I go on with, with making that application this morning. Let me, let me ask you this question this morning. How much of Jesus can people see in you? When Stephen sat there and he was kneeled upon his knees, he took his eyes off of the world. He took his eyes off of the affairs of this life. And the Bible said that he looked steadfastly at the Lord Jesus Christ. You look at your Bible. The Bible says here in verse number 55, and he being full of the Holy Ghost, looked up steadfastly. He didn't take his eyes off. He didn't turn to the right or the left. He didn't deter uh, his vision at all. He looked at Jesus steadfastly. And notice what when he looked at, when he looked at Jesus, he looked up into heaven and saw that he said, saw the glory of God and Jesus standing on the right hand of God. As he looked up and saw, the Bible said that here, here's what he said in verse 56 that he saw. Behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. I believe that as he, as Stephen is there and he's looking steadfastly into heaven and not looking one way or the other, not looking at those that are stoning him. By the way, if you read this passage, you'll be hard pressed to even find one verse that would even tell you that Stephen even recognized that he was being stoned. The only verse that even comes close to being a proof that he was even verbally recognizing what was happening to him was when he prayed, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. The sin would be stoning him. But other than that, it gives, you, you, you would be, you, we, we, in this life, you and I would be, oh, if we're not careful, be all about what's happening to us. Too many, too many people, and I, I'm sad to say, even people who claim the name of Christ, all they ever do is, is engage in a victim mentality and tell everybody everywhere they go how bad they've been hurt by everybody else. Stephen here isn't complaining about what's happening to him. He's accepted it as the will of God, and God's allowing it to happen. And he gets a vision of Jesus, and he locks his eyes on Jesus, and he's not concerned with anything else. 
Can I submit to your heart today that that would be a good thing for you and I to do? Yes, sir. Turn our eyes upon Jesus. Yes. That, might be a, that might be a good invitation him this morning. Uh, turn our eyes upon Jesus. Look in his wonderful face. Amen. If we do that, the things of earth, the songwriter said, will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Amen. That's more than just a hymn. Yeah. This passage here gives us Bible on it. Yeah. Stephen wasn't concerned about everything going on around him because when you get a good look at Jesus, everything else pales in comparison. How, 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 how much are you looking at Jesus in your everyday life? I'm not talking about with eyes of flesh. I'm not talking about laying your eyes upon him and seeing visions uh, in your bedroom. Amen. If you see visions in your bedroom of the Lord Jesus' face, you might have had too many tacos from Taco Bell before bed. Amen. <laughs> I don't want to hear about that. Amen. If you, if you feel like you saw Jesus in the flesh last night, don't stand too close to me. I don't want what you've got. Amen. Whatever's making you that delirious, I don't want it. Amen. And, uh, but but I, will say this, I will say this, though, this morning. You can see Jesus with eyes of faith. You're not going to see his face. You're not going to see his form. But you'll know he's there. And you'll know when he comes in the room to be with you in your prayer time. You'll know when he's working. If you'll walk with God, there'll be some times where you'll have encounters with the Lord Jesus. Amen. And I'm thankful for that. Amen. I'm thankful for every time he's ever met me in my prayer closet. I'm thankful for every time he's ever met with me going down the road, listening to good gospel singing or listening to preaching or praying. Amen. I'm thankful when Jesus comes in. Amen. And when you spend time with him, everything else seems to pale in comparison. Let's not look at everything that the world has for us. Let's not look at the, the pain and the, the tragedy on the outside. Let's not, you know, I think it'd be good for us to turn off the news every once in a while. We know they're lying to us anyway. So why, why, why are we turning, the, why are we turning the, uh, the TV on to let them lie to us? Amen. Praise the Lord. Man, I'd, I'd rather watch Peanuts and listen to the news nowadays. Amen. Yeah. Hey, you'll get, you'll get more spiritual things out of a Charlie, uh, Charlie Brown Thanksgiving than you're going to get out of news media now. Amen. You let, you let Linus tell you about Jesus sometime. Amen. You'll get, more Bible, you'll get more Bible out of an animated character than you will on the news. Amen. It'd be much better for us to just listen to kids' shows sometimes. Amen. I'm they're lying to us anyway. So why do we feed ourselves with that? And, and let, let the world dictate. Because what you're doing is you're letting the world dictate how you think on stuff. Amen. And I'm not saying don't be informed. I believe Christians ought to be the most informed people on the planet. You ought to know what's going on in the world. And so every once in a while I will turn it on just to see what lies they're telling us next. So I know what to preach on to you guys next. Amen. How do you combat lies? With the truth. Amen. Amen. I've got it. I've got it. By the way, if you listen, if you listen to it for an hour, you're going to get all the lies they've told us all week anyway. They're just going to, they're funneling it back through. You don't have to listen to it all week. You can just listen to 45, 30, 30, 45 minutes of it. You've got everything they've told you for the last two weeks just on repeat. Amen. It's also the same way on Sports Center, but I'm not going to go there. Amen. <laughs> My brother used to listen to Sports Center for uh, literally all day long. And I'd tell him, why are you listening to it at 5 p.m.? You heard it at 5 a.m. And they said the exact same 10 things that they said at 5 p.m. Amen. But anyway, I digress. Amen. Amen. Go with me to Acts 22 this morning. Acts 22. <clears throat> 
I'm a little bit off my norm for preaching because this has been down there all day, so I'm trying not to keep you forever. It's the first time I've had any idea what time it is. Acts 20, I'll give you this and then we'll, we'll, go, we'll go to the house tonight. We may pick up this this evening just to finish it up this evening. Don't worry, I've got plenty to talk to us about, about last day still, amen. I, I still hadn't finished our thoughts in that, but I don't want to keep you forever today. Let's look at Acts chapter number 22. And uh, let's look at verse number, look at verse number 17 with me real quick this morning. We'll be here and then we'll be done. <clears throat> Acts 17, notice what the Bible says in Acts, excuse me, Acts 22, verse 17. The Bible said, and it came to pass that when I was come again to Jerusalem, let me hold up right here and say this, what we're, what we're coming to in Acts 22, verse 17 through 24, is Paul is giving his testimony. This is several years down the road. Paul has given his he's already been saved. He's already been serving. He's already uh, preaching. He's an apostle. He is, he is going from place to place, sharing the truth. Uh, he is doing the work. He's starting churches. And everywhere he goes, everyone he meets, he tells them his testimony of how God saved him. And by the way, that's a good practice for every believer to be, to be involved in. Amen. Seven, chapter 22, verse 17 in the book of Acts, and it came to pass that when I was come again to Jerusalem, even while I prayed, uh, I, was, uh, I, I was in a trance, and I saw him saying unto me, Make haste, get thee quickly out of Jerusalem, for they not, will not receive thy testimony concerning me. And I said, Lord, they know that I imprisoned and beat in every synagogue them that believed on thee. Y'all thought, thought I was just kidding when I said that I, that I believe that everywhere Paul went, especially in the early days of his ministry, there were people that were having a hard time listening to him because they knew he killed when he was a Pharisee and when he was persecuting the church, he killed their mom, killed their dad, killed their loved one, persecuted them. Y'all thought I was playing. No, there's Bible for it right there. Amen. He's, he, he is anxious about going and telling uh, and preaching in areas because in those areas they know well that he imprisoned and beat in every synagogue them that believed on thee, uh, amen, those that believed on the Lord. And notice what he says in verse 20. Isn't it interesting? There's a name that pops up in his testimony as he's talking to the Lord. And the Bible tells us about him getting saved in his prayer to the Lord. There's a name that pops up. After all of these years, uh, Paul has not forgotten about Stephen. Think about this. He's just given his testimony. Years afterwards, you give your testimony. A lot of times, you, you, there, there's times you'll give it in full, and there's times you'll just give it in a synopsis. He's talking to the Lord. There's no reason why he'd have to go through the whole, uh, the whole uh, line, the, the whole thought of his testimony. The Lord knows it all anyway. Right. But notice what he says. I believe God put this here so we could see it. Notice what he says, verse twenty. He says, "And when the blood of thy martyr Stephen was shed." I also was standing by and consenting unto his death and kept the raiment of them that slew him. And he said unto me, Depart, for I will send thee far hence unto the Gentiles. 
Here God is calling uh, Paul and he's sending him to his next assignment. But as he prays, he gives us a brief note of his testimony in prayer to the Lord and in penmanship here for us to read. We get a glimpse in his testimony and one thing is not left out. After all these years, Paul hadn't forgot about Stephen. When the blood of thy martyr Stephen was shed, do you think that the reason why he said this is because the image of that blood might still be in his mind? Not just the man, but the blood he shed when he was stoned. That he sees the blood and he was reminded of the blood. Notice he doesn't just talk about Stephen, but he talks about the blood of Stephen. He said, and then he talks about his involvement. He was standing by. He was standing close enough he could have done something, but he didn't. He consented on his death. He kept the raiment of those that slew him. I believe Stephen's still locked there in his mind. When he gives his testimony, he's reminded that there's some people that have paid for me to be able to have received the gospel. There's some people that have that went the trail before me, if I can use that terminology, that I might get the gospel. And Paul was someone that was never ungrateful for the investment of Stephen. God... I believe, if you take what we've read, and then this passage here, I believe we can very easily make the point that one of the main reasons, if not the main reason, why Stephen's life brought him to his knees is because God knew that the gospel was going to need to be given to the world. God knew that the gospel, that, that the Gentiles were going to need to receive the gospel. God knew that there was books of the Bible that need to be written. And if Paul did not get saved, those books would not have been written in that way. God had a plan for using Saul of Tarsus and saving him by the grace of God and making him Paul the apostle. God had a word for Paul to do and it would take something as drastic as a man of God loving him enough to give him his truth uh, give him the truth loving him enough to tell him the truth no matter no matter if it cost him his life and still serve God in the midst of dying and being stoned and not being bitter and not being angry but being what a Christian ought to be Amen. even in death being as the book of Revelation says, he was faithful till death. Amen, Lord. For the chief of sinners, it took that for the wheels of the gospel to begin to turn for the hard heart of Paul, of Saul of Tarsus that was stone hard and just callous because of sin to be softened by the image that he saw, to be softened by the blood that he remembered to be softened by this event, by this death, and by the words ringing in his mind over and over and over again until on the road to Damascus he received a vision. He received a, a visit from the Lord Jesus himself reminding him that he's trying to kick against pricks of conviction. What started the pricks of conviction, that when he got saved, that he was already kicking against, Jesus said, I believe it was this event. Stephen began his death, his life, his witness, his ministry was used in Saul of Tarsus's life to begin the process of conviction and the softening of, of Saul's hard heart that he might receive the gospel. Here's what I'm saying this morning. You'll never know why until you get to heaven 
why you're going what you're going through what you're going through. There very well may be a Saul of Tarsus somewhere waiting in the wings that if you're not faithful with what you're going through, when you lose your job, if you're not faithful to trust God anyway, when you're when you lose a loved one, you lose a child, and you're not faithful to keep on going for God when it gets as bad as anybody would ever come to you and say, I don't know how you keep on going. I don't know how you have a smile on your face. I think about Wednesday night, Brother Chris Hewitt was with us. I've had people talk to me this week about how hard it was for them to fathom how him and his family still up there smiling and singing and preaching and loving God and going all over the country and the world telling people about Jesus when in eight years they've buried five children. Y'all may not know this, and I don't think he would mind me saying this, but his little boy is a miracle. I think most of us know that. Ezra is a miracle. Has the most vicious, the most uh, horrible form of spinal bifida that somebody can have. He can't walk. He can't sit up on his own. They had to sing with him. You remember what, the, what they said? They said, we're sitting down for him because he can't stand for us. Now, we're praying, Lord willing, there'll be a day he'll be able to walk. He'll be able to stand. Amen. Amen. You know, you never know. God, his name's Ezra. He, may, he God may make a preaching Ezra out of him. Amen. Amen. God may let him be like that Old Testament priest serving God. Amen. Amen. He may preach circles around his daddy one day. We don't know what God's going to do with his life. But most of y'all may not have known this, but that little pretty girl that was running around here, uh, that my son probably kept the most of the time while he was here. But that, the, the little daughter of theirs, Emmeline, she was supposed to be twins. The re she was born at just barely over one pound. The reason why labor started so early for Miss Chloe was because the other twin, the other little girl, died in the womb. And they had to give birth to her. One pound. God, you wouldn't be able to tell. I, re I remember when she was born. Me and my wife, it was right around the time we got married, and I remember both of us praying for Brother Hewitt and his family. All of, uh, For what I know, there's churches all over America praying for them. You couldn't have told by her coming in here and singing the way she did and quoting scripture the way she did, that there was any, any, ever any problems with her birth or she, that there was times where they did not know if she was going to make it. We don't know what God's going to do. But to see them go through what they go through, that they've went through, bearing all of those children that short amount of time. When they get to heaven, they're going to have seven children, Brother William. They've got two down here. They've got five that God's already deposited over there to wait on them when they get there. And God, no, I, I've seen since that happened, God allow Miss Chloe and Brother Chris to be able to stand up on the Capitol steps in Georgia and tell their testimonies in, a fr in, front, uh, in front of a massive crowd of people wanting to, wanting to get, wanting to, uh, wanting to support abortion and, and, and just wickedness, and then stand up and say, we've lost all of these kids, but they're not, they haven't been lost to us. God knows exactly where they are. And we wanted them. But God saw fit for something else. And to stand up in front of TV cameras, to stand up in front of a city and say, what y'all are doing is not right. Because those kids that we had, God knew that that's not a pound of flesh. 
That's not an ounce of just flesh. He, they would they stood there and said that is a human life, and we've went through we've went through this, and I know on the basis of the Word of God that I that, that we didn't just lose we did not just lose embryos we did not just lose fetuses we lost children to us in this life, but they weren't lost to God, and they're in heaven today, and we'll meet them one day. This is a travesty. This is an abomination. But God will one day bring the family back together. God used their pain to be a witness to others. I think God used their pain Wednesday night to be a witness to us. And God will use your pain. God will use the times to where you don't know what else to do. You can't look around. There's no hope and help there. All you can do is look to Jesus like Stephen did after life has brought you to your knees. Say, God, I don't know what to do, and I don't know why you've brought me here. And you may never know why God brought you here. But child of God, remain faithful. There very well could be a Paul in the making. There very well could be someone that God wants to save and God wants to use. And he may use that individual more than he's ever used you, but he's going to use you to be the catalyst to let a solved heart be, or let a hard heart be softened and saved. That's why it pays to serve Jesus. That's why it pays to be faithful. That's why it pays when it gets hard not to quit, not to give up. If Stephen would have quit and gave up and lived in a way unbecoming of a Christian, you know what that would have done? It would have validated Saul of Tarsus' opinion of the Christians. That they were treasonous against Jerusalem. That they were illegitimate in their in what they believe about the scriptures, and that they deserved to be wiped off and persecuted by what Saul believed to be the true religion, the Jews' religion. But he saw in that moment something different in a Christian. And while at that time he allowed it to happen, he allowed it him, him to be killed, the rest of his life he was still reminded there's something different. There's something different about that Christian. Let me ask you, when the world looks at you, can they tell that there's something different about you? Or do you live the way they live and quit the way they quit and get mad and angry the way they get mad and angry? Can anybody see Jesus in us? They looked at Stephen. They saw a man persecuted by those. As part. Stephen was a Jew just like everybody else. That's why he was qualified to preach to them about the history of the nation of Israel. They wouldn't have heard a word a Gentile had to say that they listened to, they listened to 53 verses of Stephen before they killed him. He was a Jew. You know what that means, Brother Caldwell? It means that he was betrayed by the same members of the same fleshly line that he was a part of. I believe John said that when Jesus died, he, he came unto his own, and his own received him not. Stephen came to his own, trying to give them the truth, and they didn't receive him. We see a picture of Jesus in that. We see a picture of Jesus in his prayer. We see a picture of Jesus all throughout that death. It mirrors Christ's death. Let me ask you this. Live or die, <coughs> are you being a picture of Jesus? I hope to God that when my life comes to its end, God will be able to say, well done, thou good and faithful servant, and in doing well, 
I have represented him well. And I have showed the world the love of Christ and the changed life of a Christian. I don't know about you, but I want to be a Stephen. I want, to, I, want, I want God to use my life, even if the path of life brings me to my knees. I want God to use my life to be a Stephen that will reach a lost, unsaved Saul that he might get saved. And it, doesn't, it, it honestly doesn't matter how much we know about God's plan down here. As long as we are, through our influence, making heaven fuller because we've lived down here for God. That's what I want. I hope that's what you want. Thank you for making us part of your day. We would love to hear from you. Please find us on Facebook or at our website, bbclexington.com. Oh, hey.